0: Welcome to the Word Encounter, episode 204, where we'll pick things up in the book of Luke in chapter 17. So we see here that the word says, warnings from Jesus. It's a warning from Jesus. I think we ought to pay attention. He's, he said to his disciples, offenses will certainly come, but woe to the one through whom they come. In some translations it says stumbling blocks will certainly come, but woe to the one who places those stumbling blocks in front of others. It says in verse 2, it it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than for him to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Now when he says little ones here, he's not uh, necessarily referring to children. He's referring to little ones, ones who may be young in the faith, one who ones who may be new to the things of Jesus, you know, ones who may be vulnerable as far as society is concerned. So Jesus is saying, Woe to the one who puts stumbling blocks in front of those people. You know, it's better for them to be thrown in the depths of the ocean than for them to do that. In verse three, it says, Be on your guard if your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. See, a lot of times we're very uh, quick to do the rebuking and very slow to do the forgiving, you know. And so and we can when when the word says forgive, it doesn't mean just say words. I forgive you. you see, it, It's a heart thing. The words need to be spoken, but the heart needs to be sincere in the forgiveness. In verse four, it says, and if he sins against you seven times in a day. If somebody sins against you seven times in one day and comes back to you seven times saying, I repent, Jesus is saying you must forgive him. This is not optional. You must do it again. Uh, the title of the section is warnings from Jesus. And so and so you've got to do this faith and duty. Verse five, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. If you have faith, this is Jesus, is if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, the Lord said, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Which one of you having a servant tending sheep or plowing plowing will say to him uh, when he comes in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? So Jesus is saying, you know, if you have a servant, or if you have an employee, you know, because a lot of times these relationships are more applicable in our, you know, uh, time frame. If we substitute servant for employee, okay. So says if one of you having a servant tending sheep, or having a employee, you know, a butler or somebody like that, you know, serving you or plowing will say to him, uh, when he comes from the field, maybe you have a gardener or people that cut your grass, well, when they come from the field, come at once, sit down and eat. Instead, will he not tell him, prepare something for me to eat, get ready and serve me while I eat and drink. Later, you can eat and drink. And so what Jesus is saying is how many of you will do this instead? This is what will really happen. The people will come in after their work and they will serve you. You are the boss. You are the master. They will serve you as you eat and drink. And and then when you're completed, when you're finished, then they will eat and drink. That's the normal order of things is what Jesus is saying. Then it says in verse nine, does he thank that servant because he did what was commanded? So Jesus is saying, Do you thank your employees when you do when they do what you're paying them for? <laughs> you know, do you thank them? It's like, so you're, you're paying somebody uh, to cut your grass and they come and they cut your grass and you go out and you thank them. Thank you for cutting my grass. He said, do, do you do that? It says in verse 10, It says, In the same way, when you have done all that you were commanded, you should say, We are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. See, a lot of times what we're looking for is we're looking for people to pat us on the back for doing things that we're supposed to be doing, that we're getting paid for or we're supposed to be doing. I'll give you an example. So a lot of times we'll see uh, uh, some people or or a man in particular uh, tending to his children or whatever, and he will get congratulated for being a good dad for doing what? For taking his kids to dinner, uh, for going to PTA meetings or whatever. He'll be congratulated. He should be doing that. Why should people be congratulated on things that they should be doing as a part of their duty? That's the issue at hand here. That's what Jesus is saying. It says, in the same way, when you have done all that you were commanded, when you have done everything that the Lord has commanded you to do, the response should be, we've only been doing our duty. You know, we, we shouldn't be getting any extra attention or accolades or whatever for doing what we're supposed to do. But you know, people will do for recognition what they won't do for money. So people will do things in order to be recognized by others, in order to be lauded by others, that you, that you can pay them to do, and they won't do it if there's no recognition that comes along with it. Two men healed. Verse 12, as he entered the village, ten men with leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he told them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And while they were going, they were cleansed. So they had leprosy. Jesus told them to go show yourselves to the priests. And on the way, they were transformed. Their leprosy dried up. It evaporated. Verse 15. But one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. I can see him on their way to the priest. He noticed we're cleansed and he gets beside himself. Right. And he says, glory to God. Hallelujah. He reverses field, turns around. He's going to go back and praise the Lord. In verse uh, 16, he fell face down at his feet, at Jesus's feet, thanking him. And he was a Samaritan. He was a foreigner. He was one of the despised Samaritans that had this reaction. See, the same people that wouldn't let Jesus go through their town to get through Jerusalem later on. This was one of them. He reversed fields, came back to Jesus, fell down, face down at his feet, prone, thanking him, thanking God, praising the Lord. Then Jesus said, we're not 10 cleansed. Where are the other Nine. Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he told him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has saved you. Some other translations say your faith has healed you. Some say your faith has uh, saved and healed you. you know. But the, the point here is that you had this foreigner, this unfamiliar one who recognized what was done on his behalf, and he couldn't help but express his thanks he couldn't help but have an attitude of thanksgiving. He couldn't help but praise the Lord. But the other nine, the other nine that assumably, uh, presumably, you know, I think we can presume that they were based on how this is written, presumably a part of the family, a part of the Israelite nation. Presumably uh, those other nine were that they didn't come back. They didn't come back praising the Lord. They just went about their way. What do you do? When something gets done on your behalf by the Lord. First, do you attribute it to the Lord? And if so, what is your response? The coming of the kingdom in verse 20, when he was asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, he uh, answered them. The kingdom of God is not coming with something observable. See, people are looking for something, they're looking for something like a king with a massive army coming in to take over. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's not what this kingdom is about. You've got the wrong idea. 21, Jesus says, no one uh, will say, see, no, let me back up. Verse 21, no one will say, see here or there, for you see the kingdom of God is in your midst and what, what that means is that the king—it's not just among you. The kingdom, uh, the king, the kingdom of God, is among you and in you. And in some translations, it said it says it's growing in you. So he's trying to get them to understand what the kingdom of God is. It's an internal thing. It's an internal thing where God is governing your life. It's not something external with an external king, uh, with minions who carry out his will, and this, that, and the other. That's what they're thinking of because that's what they're familiar with. Jesus is trying to redefine what a kingdom is from God's perspective. In verse 22, then he told the disciples, the days are coming when you will long to see one of the days of the son of man, but you won't see it. They will say to you, uh, see here or see there. Don't follow or run after them. As for the lightning flashes for as the lightning flashes from horizon to horizon and lights up the sky, so the son of man will be in his day. So now he's painting a picture, a vision for them. What's going to happen when the son of man's day comes? Verse 25, but first it is necessary that he suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Now, Jesus keeps warning his disciples and the people, you know, about this day of rejection and suffering. But I'm convinced that nobody really knows what he's talking about. I'm convinced that nobody really knows that he's talking about something that's going to happen imminently, something that's very soon to happen. In verse 26, it says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. So when Jesus comes back for his people, it says, just like it was in the day of Noah, this is how it's going to be. People went on eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. In other words, people were just living life with no idea, no inclination with what was about to happen. And then boom, it just came like a flash out of nowhere, apparently. Verse 28, it will be the same as it was in the days of Lot. People went on eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. People went on just conducting life. Verse 29, but "But on the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. They were just living life. And from nowhere, somebody's like, look up, huh? And then they just got consumed with flame. Verse 30, it will be like that. On the day the Son of Man is revealed, on the day of Jesus' coming, it'll be like that. People will just be living, and then they will spot the heavens, and here it comes. No warning. It says in verse 31, On that day, uh, a man on the housetop whose belongings are in the house must not come down to get in them. Likewise, a man who is in the field must not turn back. In other words, when the Son of Man comes for you, The response is to just go. There's no turning back. No, wait a minute. I got to get this. No, no, no. No, the response is you just go. It says in verse 32, remember Lot's wife. Lot's wife looked back. She was told not to look back, but she looked back. And boom, pillar of salt. It says in verse 33, whoever tries to make his life secure will lose it. And whoever loses his life, uh, Uh, will preserve it. In other words, you know, when the son of man comes, it said, well, well, wait a minute, I got to make sure this is taken care of. This, Uh Uh-uh. You're trying to secure your life, trying to save your life. In doing that, you're going to lose it. But whoever loses his life, in other words, the son of man comes, this person doesn't look back, just goes. He says that person will save their life. Verse 34, I tell you, on that night, two will be in one bed, one will be taken, and the other will be left. This implies that a man and a wife sleeping in bed, one a believer, one not a believer. One will be taken, and the other one will wake up, look around, where's my spouse? They're gone. But you're still here. (laughs) That's not good. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken, and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked him. In other words, the disciples said, where where is this going to happen? And he said to them, where the corpse is, they're also there also the vultures will be gathered. In other words, Jesus is saying, this is going to happen everywhere. Everywhere. I'm going to gather my people. And then those who are dead in the spirit are the ones who are going to be left, and the vultures will gather. And we know that the vultures gather and, cir- and circulate when they see prey, when people have died. Or I should say, when living things have died. Let's go on to Verse 18. It says the parable of the persistent widow in verse one. Now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. See, this is a parable on the need to pray always and most importantly, and never to give up. How quickly we give up. Verse two, there was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people. (laughs) Man, this judge, he didn't fear God. He didn't respect people. He had to be kind of a miserable soul. Verse 3 And a widow in that town uh, kept coming to him, saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or respect people, Yet, because this widow keeps pestering me, because this widow keeps bugging and bothering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out. (laughs) So she was persistent, she was enduring, and she wore the judge down. She said, This woman keeps coming back every day, talking about the same stuff all the time. I can't take this anymore. I'm gonna give her justice just to get her out of here. In verse six, then the Lord said, "Listen to what the unjust judge says." So he's talking to his disciples. Listen to what this unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who try um, who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay helping them? He says, "Look, listen to what this judge says." And if this unjust judge, if this unjust judge renders, uh, 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 judgment and renders, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Gee, justice. Goodness gracious. Went, renders justice to this woman, because of her persistence, what do you think your heavenly father will do? It says, will not God grant justice to his, his elect who cry out to him night and day? Will he delay helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And so what Jesus is saying is, look, if you are persistent in your prayer night and day, you know, if you show your endurance and your persistence, the Lord is going to grant you what you're crying out about. You know, assuming we're talking about things that are righteous and just, you know, he's not going to grant you unjust things. You know, but assuming that things are righteous and just, if you are persistent and you're crying out, Jesus is saying, if you do this night and day, he will not delay in helping you. But then he goes on to draw a a, 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 a conflicting thought here. He says, I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, even though I've told you this, I've given you a key at how to unlock, unlock justice with God. I've given you a key, be persistent. He says, even though I've told you this, he says, will I find faith on earth when I come? Will I find people actually doing this when I come? Will I find people actually following what I'm telling them to do with regard to how to approach God when I come back? The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. He told this uh, parable to some uh, who trusted in themselves that were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Now, we know people like this, right? These are people in the church. So he's talking about people who think more highly of themselves than they ought as far as their righteousness is concerned. You see, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everybody else because they're looking down on people that they don't think are as righteous as they are. If you've been involved in in church for any period of time, you can't tell me you don't know people like this. In verse 10, it says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector, a despised tax uh, collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying uh, like this about himself. God, (laughs) this cracks me up. I thank you that I'm not like other people. (laughs) God, I thank you that you made me so fabulous. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector guy over here. God, thank you so much that you didn't make me like these other losers. Thank you that you made me a winner. Verse 12, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get, I am awesome. I, I'm adding that part. This guy said, "I am awesome." God, recognize that I am awesome. In verse thirteen, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to the heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, "God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, please have mercy on me. I'm a sinner." And so it says in verse fourteen. I tell you the truth, this one went down, this one, the one that's beating his chest saying, God, I'm a, a sinner. Uh, I tell you the truth, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other. In other words, some translation says, uh, this one went, uh, went home um, right by God, but this other one didn't. <laughs> so this one went, uh, went home justified by God rather than the other one. Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Blessing the children. Uh, We covered this in Matthew chapter 19, verse 13 through 15, in episode 186. Uh, And verse 16 is a key here. It says, Jesus, however, invited them. uh, Let the little children come to me and don't stop them, because the kingdom of God belongs to to ones such as these. And so this is when the disciples were trying to stop people from bringing infants to Jesus and he said, "No, no, no, no. Bring the bring the little ones to me because the kingdom of God belongs to ones such as these, ones who think like these, ones who are innocent, ones who aren't wise in their own eyes, ones who don't exalt themselves, ones who are humble, ones who are dependent. The kingdom of God belongs to ones such as these." The rich young ruler Uh, We covered this in Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 22 in episode 186. And we drop down here to verse 22. It says, when Jesus heard this, he told them, you still lack one thing. Sell all you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And so the young rich ruler said, you know, Lord, what do I need to do it's essentially to be saved, to be justified? Jesus tells him, you do these things. He says, Lord, I've done those things. What else? He must felt like he was lacking somewhere, so he asked, what else? And Jesus says, okay, sell everything you have, distribute to the poor, and then drop everything else and come follow me. But he was a rich man and he found this very difficult, if not impossible to do. Possessions in the kingdom. <clears throat> We covered this in Matthew chapter 19, verses 23 through 30 in episode 186. And after his encounter with the rich man, um, you know, Jesus witnessed what his response was. And it says, seeing that he became sad, Jesus said... How hard is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. Why is this? Because people of means and wealth become attached to their things and their money. And when they become attached to their things and their money, those things become their idols because they're more important to those people than the Lord Himself. And anything that is more important than God in your life is an idol. And we know that God hates idolatry because he is not going to play second fiddle to anybody or anything else in your life. That's why it's so hard. It's not that rich people or wealthy people can't get into the kingdom of heaven. It's that they can if they can keep the perspective correct. If they recognize that they don't own anything, that they are in fact uh, uh, caregivers, stewards, Of what has been given to them, that they don't own it, it all belongs to the Lord. If they can keep that perspective and behave in a way that is consistent with that perspective, then yes, they can get into the kingdom of heaven. But uh, the word says it, and I think it's accurate, is that that's very difficult for most people to do. The third prediction about his death. And so Again, Jesus was always uh, schooling his disciples on what was about to happen to him. So this is the third time he's teaching them, you know, that he's going to be handed over to the chief uh, priests and scribes. And that uh, in order for the word to be for the prophesied word to come true, this has to happen. A blind man receives his sight. We covered this in Matthew chapter 20, verses uh, 29 through 34 in episode 187 of the Word Encounter. Uh, In Matthew, it says two men. In Luke here, it says one man. You know, that's a difference in the accounting of the stories, but the story uh, are essentially the same. It says, uh, uh, so he cried out to Jesus, uh, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those in front of him uh, told him to keep quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And so they were walking, and this a blind man was calling out to Jesus, you know, son of David, son of David, everybody tried to shut him up. Don't bother the teacher, you know. Uh, but no, 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 that wasn't Jesus's deal. He came to heal the sick. And so because of this man's persistence, because he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him, and then he was healed. And with that, we are going to stop for today. Uh, we'll pick things up in chapter 19 tomorrow. Um, <clears throat> and as is always the case, you know, read uh, read Romans chapter 10 and just read it and read it and read it because it is very important that we all understand that even those of us who have already made a public confession about our intentions to follow the Lord, um, sometimes these things can wane within us. You know, Sometimes our, our irons can grow cold. See? And so we need to stay on top of things because you know, the Word says that none of us knows that day that's going to take, uh, take place. And the Word warns us to be ready. So even if we've already made that commitment to the things of the Lord, We have to continuously remind ourselves what it is we're doing and why we're doing it. And in Romans, it tells us that all that's necessary is that there is a belief in your heart and a confession with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And the word says that you will not be put to shame and that you will be saved. That doesn't mean by any stretch of the imagination all of the problems and issues in your life are going to suddenly dry up. As a matter of fact, Jesus says that he, he came to bring the sword. You know, He came to separate people with regard to their beliefs. In some cases, a confession, a sincere confession and a heartfelt belief is going to bring some strife into your life because it's going to cause some problems with some other people who don't feel that way, who think you might be crazy. And so one of the first things one needs to do, in my opinion, is to, uh, when one is new into the kingdom of God, is to find a group of other like-minded people in a church, in a word-based, Bible-based church. Not all churches are word-based. I don't care what the denomination is. That's irrelevant. It's about whether this church, this group of people calling themselves a church, Are they seeking uh, to live their lives according to the things of God as presented in his word? See, That's the way that you stay on the straight and narrow. Then you don't deviate into opinions, man's philosophies or anything like that. Then you become a true seeker of the Lord. And we always need to be evaluating that, because even churches that are word and Bible based, they can veer off in time. They can become influenced by culture. And so it's up to us as individual believers to make sure that we are in the company of people that don't allow that to happen. And if it does, then we need to change companies. And so with that, we are done today. We'll pick things up in chapter 19, tomorrow. no, chapter, yeah, chapter 19 tomorrow. Everybody stay safe, be blessed, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, and should he not come between now and tomorrow, we'll see you tomorrow in episode 205. Bye-bye.